Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior. The text I want us to consider this morning is our gospel lesson from John chapter 10, as Jesus declares to us that he is the good shepherd. I just want to read for us the first couple verses again as we consider it this morning. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You've given us your word, the eternal Lagos, your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to hear his voice this morning, to recognize his voice as the good shepherd who leads us, guides us, comforts us, and wins our salvation for us. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, today, like I said, is Good Shepherd Sunday. And when we think of Good Shepherd Sunday or the Good Shepherd, we usually have some imagery maybe in our heads. Maybe the imagery as I printed out for you in your bulletins in the front cover. Usually a picture of Jesus holding a sheep, maybe with some other sheep around him and with his shepherd staff as he's guiding and leading the sheep as he guides and leads us, his sheep, who are often prone to wander. What a fitting picture it is as Jesus leads his sheep. But this idea of Jesus as the good shepherd was born in controversy, you see. John chapter 10 follows John chapter 9, in which Jesus had just finished healing a blind man, given his sight back. And everyone was shocked to see and to hear how this man received his sight again. And as often as Jesus does, he tells this man to go back and tell <clears throat> how he had been healed. Go and tell. Sometimes he does the opposite. But this time, the Pharisees is the one whom he's telling. And they want him to leave out the part about Jesus healing them, healing him. But he doesn't. And the Pharisees get furious and throw him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated this, this man who had been born blind but now healed by Jesus. And so Jesus bluntly and directly called the Pharisees blind guides, robbers and thieves who were destroying God's flock. But why was Jesus so judgmental, so intolerant of the Pharisees. Quite simply because the Pharisees were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, God's people. They were supposed to keep them safe from false doctrine, keep them safe from sin, 
and point them to the promises of God in his word. And they were to feed on those promises as God's sheep. But the Pharisees had betrayed God and his people. They had become spiritual thieves and robbers who were leading Israel away from God and into destruction. The Pharisees taught that salvation was achieved by obeying their own set of rules, their own guidelines. Therefore, they were, they were not faithful shepherds. They were leading his people away. As we pointed out in what I just read, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, that the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. And even if you're not a shepherd or in the sheep business, you can understand this imagery of shepherding. Every evening, the shepherd would gather in his sheep into the pen to keep them safe from robbers and thieves, other wild animals who might attack. And in the morning, the shepherd would call them out by name and guide them in pasture, give them food, and protect them there as well. But the legitimate shepherds, like the good shepherd, weren't the only ones interested in the sheep. Some would sneak into the pen and steal the sheep. They wouldn't enter through the gate, but they'd climb over the wall and try to steal this sheep. And that's what the Pharisees did with this blind man and to God's people. They were sneaking into God's flock, deceiving them with false words of God their own words, really, and destroying God's sheep. And that's what the Pharisees had began to do. They were sneaking into the fold, claiming authority over God's people by means other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, robbing the sheep of salvation. Now, we might think that the Pharisees are ancient history, that they don't, they're not here anymore. So why do we really need to talk about them? But Pharisees were not and are not the only godless sheep stealers out there today. There are plenty of sheep stealers. We have those in the outside world who try to sneak in and deceive the church and its people, God's sheep. We have the media. We have Hollywood. We have D.C., the politicians trying to come in through another way, lead our people away with false teachings. Even in the world, trying to give our children false teachings about sexual identity from creation and evolution. All things trying to pull us away from the true shepherd. And as dangerous as those humanistic, immoral voices are, there are still yet even greater dangers to fear that proclaim an anti-Christian message, though come in the form of a quote-unquote godly presentation. You might, for example, have someone come to your door with a Bible in their hand, 
from the Mormon church or a Jehovah's Witness church claiming all things in Scripture but leading you in a false way, claiming a false gospel, a message that depends on how earnest you are, how zealous and honest and obedient you are. Again, much like the way of the Pharisees. But perhaps today there's even a greater danger. There are men and even women who claim to speak in God's name throughout America, apart from any denomination really, and you, you can find them in the big box churches you see popping up all over the place. They often have good-looking pastors, well-spoken. They use lots of Christian-sounding words. And they draw hundreds and thousands of people and spectators. But what you will find, and when you listen carefully, you will not hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Why not? Because they promise, they promise you to have this such a close and intimate personal relationship with Christ, but they deny the means by which Christ comes to you. Namely, word and sacrament. They deny it. That's not the voice of the Good Shepherd. They might promise you earthly wealth and peace and prosperity, but Jesus never guaranteed those things. They tease people with the promise, like I said, of that close personal relationship with Jesus. And like flies drawn to light, people fly to these churches, attracted by their wealth and success. But the untold story is that they become rich by fleecing the flock. These leaders are not faithful shepherds. Many of them are not. They are robbers and thieves. When you deny God's word, you're not preaching his word in truth and purity. So why do so many fill the pews? Why do so many write checks out to fraudulent shepherds? Why do they follow the voice of strangers and frauds and false shepherds? The only conclusion can be that they really do not know the voice of the good shepherd. Which begs the question, do you know the voice of the good shepherd? Would you recognize a stranger's voice? A false teacher? Would you know if someone, or if I, or any other preacher was not leading you to Christ, but stealing you away from him? Would you recognize it? And you might be tired of hearing the regular encouragement to faithful worship, coming regularly, and coming to things that the church offers, like Bible studies, when they are happening. You might be tired of that, and Satan might be coming to you and saying, spending time in God's word, that's just a burden. Bible study is a burden. You don't have to deal with that. He doesn't want you to recognize the voice of the good shepherd. Of course he's going to tell you that. But just like it takes years of listening for a sheep to recognize the voice of his shepherd, it takes a lifetime for us 
to recognize and to only hear his, the good shepherd's voice and to know when a stranger or a thief is trying to steal us away. Nothing can replace the time that you personally spend with God and his word. But I do want to talk about three basic things that you should listen and take away from any sermon that you might hear. What makes a good Christian sermon? First, what's the subject matter? If the preacher's coming up and the main focus of the sermon is about his life or your life, some alarm bells should be ringing. The only proper focus for a Christian sermon is the inspired word of God and the central message of Christ crucified for your sins. That's number one. What's the subject matter of the sermon? Is it the pastor, your life, or is it about Jesus and how he protects and comes to you through his word and sacrament? Second, what is the problem that the shepherd is seeking to cure? What is the problem that the, the shepherd is seeking to cure? Does the problem go no deeper than your health or your wealth or your marriage or social life or your co-workers or politics? Or is, the main pre or is the main problem deeper than that? Is the main problem in you? That sin lives in you and in your heart and it separates you from God. And closely related to that, does the speaker proclaim God's law and threat of punishment in all its sternness? Or do they modify the law of God to better fit the secular and immoral culture? We have to listen for those things. Third, what's the solution to that problem? Do you have to do something to solve that problem? Do you have to pray more? You better pray more to fix that. You better give more to fix that. You better work harder, try harder, climb more ladders. No. God loves you too much to leave you in your own hands for your own salvation. The real message of Christianity, the real deep eternal problem is sin. And that Christ comes to take away that sin taking our punishment and putting it on himself. The solution to that sin that separates us from God is Christ who bore our sins and the wrath of God. If that's not the message you're hearing, you need to run. That's what scripture teaches us to do. Run because your good shepherd tells you to run. And that's how you, he keeps you safe from robbers and thieves. The crowd in Jesus' day, the Pharisees especially, didn't understand this metaphor. So Jesus used another, an even simpler picture. He says, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. 
If you ever wondered why the world hates Christianity, this is why. The unbelieving world wants the freedom to, cre to create its own religion, its own God, its own set of morals and values, its own way to heaven. But Jesus says that the only way to heaven is through faith in him. And so Christians are called intolerant and bigoted and hateful and judgmental. And in some places, because they do stand up for the truth, they are burned at the stake or beheaded or murdered for their faith. And in some places, even blown up, as we see in the news sometimes. But this is the truth, that Jesus alone is the savior of all people including you and him only just hear a few verses in acts when the jailer asked paul what he had to do to be saved what was his answer believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved in his pentecost sermon peter proclaimed salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 Jesus himself said, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 3.18 can this really be true? Can we really believe that there is only one path to heaven and it all passes through a Jew from Nazareth named Jesus? Are we willing to face the hostility of the world, the wrath of hell? Are we willing to put our present and future, our time and talents, our very lives, our eternity, in the hands of Jesus as our good shepherd? The answer to that question doesn't lie in your heart or in your minds. The answer to that question lies in what Jesus has already done for you. The shepherd didn't sit in the mansion and tell you how to earn God's favor. He came down to his troubled planet came down to us to do the dirty work, that bloody work, to go to that cross and to earn our salvation for us. The shepherd volunteered to take our blame for our lives. Your hatred, your impatience, your greed, your sins of thought, word, and deed. This shepherd took your place on that cursed cross and suffered the punishment of hell for you. He was beaten, arrested, betrayed, whipped for you. The shepherd offers the forgiveness of sins and eternal salvation to all people free of charge. 
no strings attached. What other shepherd, leader, preacher, or teacher can say that message? Only Jesus, for he is the good shepherd. He is the way, the only way to eternal life. Jesus closes this message of the good shepherd with this. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sheep do not need much to keep them happy. You give them some green grass, a cool stream, a safe shelter, and a faithful shepherd, and they are content. For a sheep, that's a full life. What's your idea of a full life? Are you content with the essentials, food, water, clothing, shelter, the forgiveness of sins, and eternal life? Is that enough for you? As sheep, though, we don't seem so easily pleased. We want more. We want a better job, a bigger house, a nicer car, better health. More, more, more. That's going to make me happy. That's going to make me happy. Satan tempts us to equate having a full life with having more things, more earthly things. But here is the truth about a full life. In Christ's abundant grace, our good shepherd has given us more than just the bare essentials. But if he didn't, and even if he took some away, we would still have a full life. How? How do we have a full life if we don't have all these things? It's because having a full life doesn't depend on our level of comfort, our health, or our wealth, or any other thing that the world can offer. The full life Jesus promises you is one filled with the things of God, which is the promise of his abiding presence with you each and every day, going with you through the trials, the hard times, those discomforting times. The promise of peace with God through his blood. The promise of protection from enemies, both physical and spiritual. And his unwavering love for you, his dear child, his sheep. He who knows you by name. And calls you by name. He knows you. He loves you. He died for you. Those are the things your shepherd died to win for you. Those things are yours. Whether you are rich or poor, healthy or sick, we have the promises of God. And the most important is the forgiveness of sins that he has won for us on the cross. That is a full life. The full life that the world tries to seek, but never finds it. But we have it because of Christ. An eternal full life. Amen. Please rise for the blessing.
Now may the grace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep and guard your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Please remain standing for the prayer of the church. Shepherd of Israel, in your Son, Jesus Christ, you have sought out your sheep and gathered us into your flock. Keep us always in your fold and guard us from every wolf and snare. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, bestow the gift of Christ's own wisdom and tenderness upon all who are called to shepherd the souls of your people. Teach believers everywhere to receive their pastors as a gift from you that they might confidently receive your life-giving gifts. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Heavenly Father, give peace, Lord, to our homes and enliven them by Christ's resurrected life. Let the forgiveness of sins reign among husband and wives, parents and children. Assure those who live alone that they too are your children, upheld by your right hand. Lord, in your mercy. Eternal Lord, through, through the Paschal Lamb, you have wrought peace between man and God. By your gift of good government, grant peace and good days also to our citizens and between the nations of the world, that we and all our neighbors may lead quiet lives and godly contentment. Lord, in your mercy. Compassionate Lord, you know the needs of your people before we ask. Yet you call upon us to make known the petitions of our hearts and to trust you to supply grace sufficient for all our needs. Give to the sick healing, to the suffering relief, to the troubled peace, and to the grieving comfort. Deliver the dying to your rest. We lift all these up to you, O Lord, in our hearts before you. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, our shepherd, you calm all fears in this valley of the shadow of death, and you prepare the holy table of your son's testament for us in the presence of our enemies. Grant us repentant and faithful hearts. In every tribulation or besetting sin, lead us to find comfort and strength in your overflowing mercy given to us here in this sacrament. Lord, in your mercy. Lord God, out of your fatherly goodness, you have remembered us poor, miserable sinners and given your beloved Son to be our shepherd, not only to nourish us by his word, but also to defend us from sin, death, and the devil. Grant us your Holy Spirit, that even as this shepherd knows us and helps us in every affliction, we also may know him, trust him, seek help and comfort in him heartily obey his voice and obtain eternal salvation. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 